All right, brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. We're taking a short pause in our study of Matthew until after Christmas, and we'll pick back up with it on New Year's Eve. Uh, and incidentally, where we left off, we'll have a great starting point for New Year's Eve. So that's just wonderfully providential. But what we're going to look at this year for our Advent series is a couple passages that are intended to help us understand better why it is that at this time of year, we truly can have comfort and joy. I want to bring you tidings of comfort and joy. Just like the song says, um, there's so much craziness in the world, and I don't know about you, but um, when I was a boy, my, my Christmas attitude was, I mean, I just loved it. I, I love Christmas now. <laughs> but, but I really, really liked Christmas time. My family had a whole bunch of wonderful Christmas traditions. And, and, and Christmas at our house wasn't hoity-toity. It, it, we didn't decorate like, like, you know, the country club and the mimosa sipping crowd. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was boisterous and it was fun. And I, I loved it. Um. And then I, when I was about 10, my mom was led to the Lord, and, and that precipitated some changes in my household, our household, about how we celebrated Christmas and, and what elements and, and things were no more and, and what we did differently. Um, but Christmas was always fun. I had no troubles as a child filling my heart with Christmas magic. It was easy. Even when I reached adulthood in the, the early years of our marriage, in our early 20s, we, we would rush home for Christmas every year because Christmas at home was so fun. And we just wanted to have fun. Eventually it clicked on us that we needed to stop running home for Christmas and, and we needed to set some patterns and traditions for us so that our children would want to come home for Christmas just like we wanted to come home for Christmas. Um, but somewhere in, I don't know, the late 20s, early 30s maybe, it got a little harder. Because life doesn't pause just because we've put up Greenery. Employers still have demands. The, the bill, the bill still got to be paid, and I, I assure you, the utility companies don't care that you want to buy gifts. If you want electricity, you better pay the bill. Health problems don't change. I've already gained back five pounds. Because I want to eat the eats I want to eat at the holiday season. But, but, but your metabolism doesn't change just because it's Christmas time. 
And, and, and then you have, as you get older, the, the accumulated stress of you love your kids, but every day's a battle. And you just get tired and worn out. And, and, and then you hit midlife and you, you hit that stage of life where, where it's like Groundhog Day. Every day is just kind of the same. And usually the changes that come that spice it up aren't fun. Just like I take it back when I said I want snow. We had snow in 21. Remember that? And it was like the downfall of civilization. No thanks. <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> At least down here. I'll, I'll travel to South Dakota when I want to see snow. And, and, and it seems like the older I get and then... And it does seem like technology, the advent of all this technological age, I think, I'll be honest, I think it's gone way past being helpful. And it, our lives just seem so rushed and cluttered and distracted. We know more than I think we're supposed to know. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to know what's going on in every corner of the world. I think there... We're supposed to be limited in place. And that may sound to some of you, but because we're worrying about other people's problems as if they're our own. And we're just always keyed up. And so along comes Christmas. And it's been coming along every year for a long, long time. And so the conundrum that I find myself in, and I'm going to wager that some of you find yourself in, is how do, I, how do I really find, I don't know, joy or happiness or something at this time of year when, when it seems like I'm depending on the accoutrements alone to conjure up a spirit, when life is just the same dull drummy thing every day. How, how do we find good news at Christmas time so that Christmas is actually a source of joy for us? And, and that's what I want to talk about. So for this Advent series, we're going to be talking about a few things, a few, a few things from Scripture that remind us of truths that should lead us in remembrance each Christmas, but this Christmas, right now, to find great comfort and joy. Okay? So, turn with me to Galatians 4, and it says through verse 5, 4 and 5, but I'm calling an audible, I want to read through verse 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through
God. That's awesome news. This is the word of the living God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for giving it to us. We thank you for ruling and reigning. Thank you. Be with us now, at this time and in this season. For Christ's sake, we pray it. Amen. Well, I've already done my introduction. So what we're looking at right now, just to get down to the brass tacks, is why and how we can have joy this Advent season. Uh, Christians have been celebrating Christmas for a long time. Uh, Last year, we actually read because Christmas fell on a Sunday morning and we're not stopping the worship of our God uh, for for a holiday. Uh, It is the holiday. Sunday, the Lord's Day, is the chief holiday and we worship on that day. But Christmas Day also coincided. So we read last year the first uh, or the oldest extant, the oldest existing Christmas sermon in the history of the Christian church, and it was delivered in 386 by John Chrysostom. Um, and so you can go back and, and read that online or, or listen to it, but we delivered that. Christians have been celebrating Christmas for a really long time. And you can read online, there's all sorts of hullabaloo and debate about why it's in December and the rationale of the early church. Some think it was this, some think it was, and that, that's, it's neither here nor there to me. The point of the matter is, is Christians want to celebrate and remember the birth of their king. And so we do. And we've talked about how it's easy to have Christmas spirit when you're a kid and it's harder and it gets harder for us. And in the midst of it, how do we have joy and comfort, and I, and I really want to remind you that what Christmas is a reminder of is a number of things, but chiefly, firstly, I should say, not chiefly, but firstly, it is a reminder that God is the Lord of history. Advent is a reminder that God is the Lord of history. I love the first clause of verse 4 in our passage today. But when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time had come. So what I want you to understand is we, we think about this theologically, that before the foundation of the world, God had appointed a day, just like he's appointed a day on which the sun will return. But, but he appointed a day on which the sun would come. So theologically, we're like, okay, God's sovereign, there's a decree. But, but I want you to understand that if you are going to find joy and, and hope in remembering Advent for your life, you, you've got to get beyond the abstract of doctrine into the nitty-gritty of what that looks like for God to say the fullness of time had come. Much ink has been spilled about how the Lord 
basically as a sovereign chess master, arranged all the pieces. If, you, if you've watched the, the new movie about Napoleon, um, I'm, I'm, I'm almost to the end of a, of a really, really, really good biography, and, and Ridley Scott is, has, has already said what he thinks of people who want it to be historical. So the movie's not very historically accurate, but the Battle of Austerlitz was Napoleon's masterstroke. Okay, I mean, if, if you study that battle, it's, it was just a masterstroke. And in the movie, you see some of that, but you don't see it as brilliantly as it occurred. But, but to whatever nth degree Napoleon had battlefield mastery, or, or, or before him, guys like Caesar, or guys like Alexander, whatever, God is the master chess player. And he has arranged the pieces throughout history so that way things proceed along their trajectory until everything has been accomplished that he wants accomplished and the moment is ripe. You, you, you saw a, a precursor in the book of Genesis when God tells Abraham, your, your people are going to be abused for 400 years. Why? What, what did they do to deserve that? Well, they're going to be kept out of here because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. The, the sin of the people hadn't reached its appointed measure. You see throughout the scriptures that God is in sovereign control and, and sometimes things don't happen until the conditions set by God have been met. And so we get to the end of the Old Testament and there's famously, there's, there's nearly 400 years of, of silence. And that intertestamental period is, is ripe with, with divine board setting. He's getting all the pieces on the board. And much ink has been spilled talking about how Alexander united the Western world under a common culture and language. D did you know that before he even began his conquest, he, he sort of solidified the Greek language. Uh, there, there used to be many varieties and variants of the Greek language, and he simplified it and reduced it to what we call Koine Greek, which means common so that it would be more easily transmissible. Well, he was a thinker. He wasn't just some sort of brutish thug like Attila the Hun. Speaking of the Huns, <laughs> did you know that after Alexander did his big push and he went all the way to, to Afghanistan and down into India, my goodness, well, after he dies and his, his generals were, were, were not up to Alexander's standards, let's say that, that created a big vacuum in that area. And for a long time, the Huns were a problem for the Chinese. But the Chinese eventually kicked them out. Alexander had disrupted things in the con on the subcontinent in India. 
And that took centuries to settle down amid all the fighting. But, but, but the net effect of the Chinese kicking out the Huns and the, the Indians figuring things out was that there was relative peace. And that opened this thing called the Silk Road, which introduced all sorts of Eastern ideas and thoughts to the West. Rome traded with China. And that's important because as we've already learned, you know, Alexander conquered just about everything and he introduced Hellenistic Greek culture to just about everywhere. And the, the, the Roman Empire was not founded as an empire. It was actually founded as a kingdom. And it was founded right about the time historically that the Assyrians were ramping up to go invade the northern kingdom of Israel. And so for centuries, Rome was this small kingdom just gobbling up everything up and down the Tiber River and on the Italian peninsula. And then eventually they had a crisis and they became, a, a civil war happened and they became a republic. Long time, centuries later, they have another crisis. But not until Julius Caesar had, in the name of the republic, brilliantly swept through and conquered almost all of Western Europe. He went into Great Britain, Julius Caesar did. And then, of course, the Civil War happened. Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon at the head of his army, declared himself Caesar, and a civil war ensues. He gets assassinated. His son, or, or uh, his nephew, Octavian, emerges victorious. He calls himself Augustus, and he's the Caesar when the New Testament begins. Now, what's happened, though, is the seemingly invincible Romans have encountered steady resistance from the Germanic tribes of the north. You see, most generals aren't Julius Caesar. Most generals aren't Alexander, okay? Most generals aren't just sublimely brilliant. And they couldn't defeat these. And that, and, and that sort of met its crescendo in AD 10 when, when Jesus was a boy and the Roman armies, two, two legions were destroyed in a, in a German forest by pagans, by, 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 by bar, barbarians. What that introduced to Rome was a feeling of unease. We aren't indestructible. We aren't invincible. You had people who were alive long enough to remember the Civil War. So you have unease entering a populace who had for centuries and centuries thought of themselves as masters of the world. And now as this unease and existential uncertainty has come in, you, you, you have traders coming in from the east with new ideas. And so we see intellectually, psychologically, the preparation for people to hear something new. We see the roads being constructed, the network like arteries that the apostles are going to use. 
Doubting Thomas ultimately used that silk highway to get over to India, and the earliest Christian church is attribute, in India is attributed to Thomas. All these networks, all these things. When, when I consider things in history that, you know, Hannibal of Carthage got to the gates of Rome and Rome was open before him. He just destroyed the last legion in the area. What would have happened if, if, if he had decided to march on Rome? How would the world look different if instead of Roman law, it was Carthaginian law? But all oh, in God's providence, he just didn't go for some inexplicable reason. All these matters of, of apparent chance. And yet what we see is that they are the weaving together, the bringing together of strands and pieces that, that created a world that was just right for the arrival of Jesus. And, and the reason this is important is the history is cool, and it's awesome to consider that. It's awesome to consider all that God has done and that he did but God's lordship of history did not end when Jesus was born. And God has appointed a day in his second return. And we're part of history. Did you know that? We are part of history. And our lives, our decisions, our struggles... Our contexts are all part of the fulfilling of the times that God is using to set things up, to arrange things, all in preparation for the second return of his son. Well, so what this tells me is that as I'm living my life and I feel like every day is Groundhog Day and I'm just kind of, how do I have joy and excitement? How do, how do I? It's because God is Lord of my days. And he's doing something in and through them. And even though I'm just a small, small, small thread, and even though you are just a small, small thread, nonetheless, we are woven together. And so Christmas, Advent tells us that just as the Lord wove together all these threads to create a beautiful tapestry that set the stage for the arrival of the sun, I can take heart because he's weaving together my days. And my life is part of a great tapestry that will one day be unrolled and unveiled and we will go, wow. And Christmas is a reminder of that. That he's Lord of history, including my steps. But not just that he's Lord and in charge, but that there's the purpose. He sent forth his son for a purpose. So what this 
reminds me of is that as I'm living my days as part of his story, as part of history, he's not just in charge of what's happening. He's not just calling the shots. He's doing so for a purpose. There's an intentionality, even when to me it just seems like random happen chance. And that's glorious news to me. That gives me confidence even when things seem bad, especially when things seem bad. When I hear about trouble in the Mideast, when I hear about immoral congressmen getting kicked out of Congress, when I hear about just, just our politicians on both sides, just and, and it's in economic data, and I hear all this, and I'm just like, oh, I can be of good cheer because he's Lord of history. And even my life is being used by God and has a part in his plan for the purpose that he has set forth. That's something that Christmas reminds me of. That our Lord is sovereignly ordaining my steps for the glory of his son. That's awesome. Now, Advent is a celebration and a reflection on the coming of Christ in three dimensions. What I mean by three dimensions is one, there's, at Advent, we look back to that first coming. So there's that historical dimension where we're, we're celebrating an event that took place in history. We're saying that in real life history, Jesus was born in, in, in Bethlehem, okay? But then there's the second dimension where, and this, is, this isn't silly, this is true. He present tense comes into the heart of people by faith. And, and, and this is what we have here in verse six. He sends the spirit of his son, into our hearts. So we, we celebrate the fact that not only has Jesus come in history, but we receive him by faith into our hearts. He sends his spirit, and that's beautiful. And so we can celebrate the fact that even now, he is adventing into people's hearts by faith. But then, of course, the third dimension is, and, and the one that I think is the, the, the big cherry on the top, is we are remembering and celebrating that one day all these stories and all these threads and all these narratives that seemingly have nothing in common or somehow they're conflicting or whatever, the day is coming when they all get brought together. And it culminates in the, in the second advent of our Lord. And this is when he comes. And this is when history stops. And this is when the dead are raised. And this is when the, the books are open and there's judgment and there's the new creation. And our Lord was faithful to keep his word. So we can have confidence that he will keep his word again. So as I'm living my life in the mundane and I just feel tired and I can have joy and be comforted in my times of difficulty 
because he's ordering my steps for his good purpose. And that's good news. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much that you are ordering our steps. That you are a God who weaves together a tapestry with master skill. And we thank you that just as you aligned things in preparation for the first first coming of your son, you are indeed working all things and aligning all things in preparation for the second. Thank you that we get to be a part. Be with us now. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen.